Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Genesis chapter 3? That's Genesis chapter 3. And if you are just tuning in with us, or if you are visiting with us for the first time, my name is Chris Williamson, and I'm honored to serve as the senior pastor at Strong Tower Bible Church, where our mission, what we do, is to make disciples of Jesus Christ by being a Bible-based, multi-dimensional fellowship of believers. The vision of this church, and that is where we're going, is to experience, explain, and expand God's diverse kingdom in the city and throughout the world. And so for the past 25 years, God has graced us to be one local church, one lighthouse uh, in the tapestry of the kingdom of God to make a difference for his sake. And uh, as Felicia said, that God allows us to partner with him in serving and loving his creation, his people who are made in his image, that we get to do this. We don't have to do this. We get to do this, just like we get to be here this morning. Um, I'd rather be here than in the most comfortable prison in Williamson County or Davidson County. I I mean, I'd rather be here than in the most comfortable hospital bed at Vanderbilt or at Meharry. I'm so glad I'm here. And we do think of those who are in hospital beds and those who are in prison cells today. But we wanna thank God for his grace today. He's allowed us one more opportunity because today, Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. We're one day closer to either going to Jesus or Jesus coming to us, and that's a good thing. So thank God for communion, where we can be reminded of all that God did through Jesus to reconcile us back to him through the shed blood and the resurrection of his son. And so today I get to preach the gospel, Uh, and the gospel is not just for people who don't know the Lord, but the gospel is for people who do know the Lord. Amen. So Genesis chapter three. Today we'll continue in our series. Just two more messages left in our series of gleaning from the garden, going back to go forward. And so today, with the help of the Holy Spirit and with your prayers, I'd like to preach on the blame game. The blame Game. Oh yeah, we, there's some wisdom. There are many nuggets to glean from in Genesis chapter 3 by way of how we relate to one another. And today we'll get some instruction from the Lord in this sermon called The Blame Game. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you that you gave us your word. You not only sent your son who is the living word, the eternal word, But Lord, you allowed us to be able to read and hear the words that the living word spoke as found in the written word called the Holy Scriptures. We thank you that we can read of the prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Moses, but above all, we can read of your son and the apostles who wrote of him. Lord, in the old covenant, they were looking for the Messiah to come. In the New Testament, Lord, it talks about the Messiah who came and the Messiah who is coming Again, and so Lord, may this house, each life, 
And of course, this sermon, be about the Messiah, be about Jesus. We preach Christ and him crucified. Lord, would you touch hearts, minds, souls, and lives today? Would you save the lost? Because we know that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to a knowledge of the truth. Lord, would you build up your body today? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We thank you that the word is sharp and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It will touch our hearts. So Lord, if I do nothing else, then just read the Bible today. It will be enough. But you have so ordained that men and women with the gift of teaching, proclamation, participate with you in the discipleship process. So Lord, may I not be a hindrance today with anything you want to say to your people. Use me, work through me in spite of me. I promise to give you the praise because I know where my help comes from. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, last Mother's Day, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, it was different for my family because my mother was in the hospital on Mother's Day. Last month, she went into the hospital because of constant pain in her body. Um, and as she has been getting older, she's 80 years old, uh, she's been having to deal with a lot of pain in her body. Well, after taking an MRI, uh, the doctors realized that if they could open up her spine somewhat, then that may relieve some of the pressure because they saw that she had what is called spinal stenosis. So my mother, with prayers from the family, wisdom from the family, she agreed to have the surgery done. And she had the surgery done on a Monday, but then there was still some nagging pain in the healing process. So seven days later, they had another surgery on her because they saw that there was a fragment from her, one of her discs that was there that they needed to remove that would also help relieve the pressure. So in a span of a week, my 80-year-old mother had two back surgeries. And thanks be to God, he carried her through. She's strong. Uh, she's been transferred to a rehabilitation center in Baltimore where hopefully she will get out this week or the next week. She's slowly beginning to walk again, standing up on her own, using a walker. So I'm so grateful uh, for what God is doing in her life. But Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And I... I truly appreciate your prayers. Thank you for your prayers for my mom, uh, for Sister Betty. And one of the things that saddened me when my oldest sister shared with me, because of COVID, you can't have many visitors and the visitors can't stay long and they cannot go into the rooms. So they have to meet in a courtyard. Uh, but from what we understand, my mother only has a radio in her room. Uh, and so she said that or the children interpreted that it, it feels like prison because she's by herself most of the day. She has few moments of visitation and there's no television. And so for my mom not to have television, that's tough because she loves Andy Griffith. Oh, y'all don't hear me, y'all don't hear me. Uh, <laughs> she loves uh, the rifleman and all that stuff. And, and of course, Sanford and Son, she loves her Sanford and Son. But, but it made me sad when I heard that because I remember when we were growing up, my mom used to watch game shows. She used to watch game shows. And her two favorite game shows when I was a child that she loved watching was Family Feud 
and the price is right. Now, I gotta break this down because I have some millennials here today. Uh, there was a time when with Family Feud, there was a guy named Richard Dawson. Richard Dawson came before Steve Harvey. And Richard Dawson had a way during that time where he kissed every single woman who participated in Family Feud. So if you weren't comfortable with kissing a strange man, then you couldn't be on Family Feud back in the day because Richard was going to get his sugar. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. So I would watch that with my mom and we'd have a good time. And then she would also watch The Price is Right with Bob Barker. Oh, see, I got a witness. I got a witness. Boy, and then the announcer would always say, so-and-so, so-and-so, you've been selected to be the next contestant on The Price is Right. Come on. Oh, I see. Uh-huh, yeah. And we would sit there and we would watch those game shows. Now, I want to tell you about a game that you may not have ever heard of, but you play, unfortunately. <laughs> and that is the blame game. You and I are contestants in the blame game, whether we want to be or not. You see, the blame game features two people or two sides who are at odds. The contestants spend the entire game accusing, arguing, criticizing, condemning, and laying blame on the other person or the opposite side. That, that's the crux of the blame game. The blame game is all about finger pointing. In the blame game, as Elder Sherman taught me many years ago, it's not about thumb pointing. It's about laying blame and not taking responsibility. Nothing about the blame game is that there aren't any winners in the blame game, only losers, because the, the blame game is a game of death. Those who participate in the game, blame game have a dance that they do. It's the dance of death, where one blames the other, the other blames the other, the other blames the other, the other blames the other. One is pointing fingers, the other is pointing fingers, and they're constantly spiraling downward until someone decides to change the dance steps and break the routine and break uh, uh, the disharmony that is occurring in the relationship. You see, we became active participants in the blame game the moment we were born. Inherent within all of us is the capacity to blame others before taking responsibility. It's in you, it's in me, to blame others before taking responsibility or even without taking responsibility. It's in all of us. And as we'll see today, that when we blame others and reject responsibility, we imitate Adam. I said when we blame others and reject personal responsibility, we're imitating Adam. But when we don't blame others, and when we take responsibility, 
We imitate the last Adam, who is Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, I don't want to be like Adam. I want to be like Christ. As a matter of fact, when the Lord transferred me from the kingdom of darkness into the marvelous light, when he took me out of Adam and placed me into Christ, he gave me a brand new want to. He gave me a brand new desire. He gave me help of the Holy, of the Holy Spirit who was conforming, conforming me to the image of Jesus. So although Adam is still a part of me because I'm human, I am now in Christ and that is my identity and I am moving in that direction so I cannot settle to be subpar. I can't make the excuse, well, that's just the way that I am. No, the way that I am is that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The way that I was is that I was in Adam. So I can't use that as an excuse that, you know, hey, man, no, no, no. God is calling me upward to be like Christ, which means I should be participating in the blame game less and less. We're going to see that today because we're going to go into two gardens, the Garden of Eden, where Adam was playing the blame game, and in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus played a different game altogether. So I want to be like Christ. The Holy Spirit wants me to be like Christ. And I believe that's your desire too because God is working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. So let's get into Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Let's just stop and pause for a moment. Adam and Eve have sinned. They've fallen short of the glory of God. And when Eve was tempted, by the serpent, and she ate. If you notice, nothing substantial happened in the atmosphere. Nothing substantial happened. But when Adam ate, that's when they realized that they were naked and they covered themselves because with sin comes shame. Now, why weren't their eyes open when Eve ate from the tree? Well, because Eve was not put in place as the governmental leader of the family. Adam was put in place. I've got to park here for a minute because we live in a culture where they want to tear down the biblical family and they want to erase the distinctions that a husband and a wife will have. Because here's the deal, both were made in the image of God. So male and female are equal in the sight of God by way of everything pertaining to humanity. And even in redemption, when husband and wife come to Jesus, there are no little I's and big U's in the kingdom of God. But we must also remember that 
equality of essence does not equal or mean sameness of role or function. Equality of essence does not mean nor does it equal sameness of role or function. Why? Because although they were equal, God manifested them at different times and different ways in order to establish order in the family. The Bible says that Adam was formed first, then Eve. Why was Adam formed first? Because he would be the point man. He would be the point guard. He would be the federal head of his family. So therefore, when he was established, God gave him the commandments. And then when Eve came forth from the side of the man, it was the man's role to share those commandments that God had shared with him with his wife who is equal to him. But she would have a different role. She would be a helper, does not mean inferior. She would be a helper. This speaks of a person with strength. Go back a few sermons and, and, and get those messages. But together, they would be a, a, a great team together. But he was the head, she was the helper. So therefore, when he ate from the tree, their eyes were opened. Which is also why when God came into the garden, he didn't say, Adam and Eve, where are you? He said, Adam, where are you? Because the enemy may be the author of confusion, but God is not. God is a God of order and clarity. So he came first to the person that he called to be responsible for the family. We know both of them are accountable for their own actions, but only Adam is responsible for the family in a way that Eve is not. So when things are wrong at 120 time drive, the first person God wants to talk to is Chris Williamson. <laughs> oh, I know people don't like it, but it's right. It's biblical. And so I am the one that's responsible for what happens in my home, which is why we say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so, 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 so God comes to Adam and he says, Adam, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So we see here how sin breaks fellowship. The one who once enjoyed being with God uh, in the cool of the day, because the idea of verse, I believe it's eight, of God walking in the garden, the Lord God, and we'll talk about this in a moment. My, my wife awakened that for me a couple of weeks ago when she taught, Lord God speaks of the relational God, that he's coming to spend time with them. But because they disobeyed him, they're hiding from him. And sin has broken fellowship between them and God. The one that they were once free with, they're now afraid of, and they're hiding. And so God says, who told you, verse 11, that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Okay, so two questions. Who told you that you were naked? And have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Let's just deal with the second question. Have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to eat from? Now, I gave you all these other trees that you were free to eat from. But the one tree that you didn't need, the one tree that you weren't supposed to have, and the one tree that could kill you, yes, Satan tempted your wife, 
You went in there, you were also led astray. Have you eaten from that tree? That is a yes or no question. That requires a yes or no answer. But what sin did was it marred his image, the image of God in Adam. He's broken, busted, and disgusted. So naturally, 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 rather than taking responsibility, he passes the blame. And this is what you and I receive from him. <laughs> We're born with this in our genes, this need to deflect and reject responsibility. So God asked him a yes or no question. Let's see how the brother answered this yes or no question. Verse 12, then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. So ladies and gentlemen, Adam is the first contestant in the blame game. Come on down, Adam. Yeah, the brother was going down quick. So the first point we're going to see is that Adam played the blame game. It was intrinsic. It was a natural response to his broken fellowship with God to, to point fingers. And I'm here to say the brother, he pointed two fingers rather than pointing one thumb at himself. He should have said, yes, Lord, I ate from the tree you commanded me not to. But instead, he said, the woman you gave me. Anybody see that? I'm not out here trying to land an airplane. I'm just trying to show you how Adam did this thing. The woman, I'll point at my wife. The woman <laughs> you gave me. So Adam blamed Eve. At this point, the honeymoon was officially over. Uh, it was a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> Who, and for every newlywed couple who get married with rose-colored glasses, noses wide open, they're so in love, at some point you're going to come crashing down to earth, especially if you're, you're Christian because you got two safe sinners living together. So at some point there's going to be some friction. But I try to encourage newlyweds especially if we go through premarital counseling, which I encourage for everyone. It's not that you're going to fight. It's that you must learn how to fight when you fight. Where? Let the walls say amen. You, you, you're going to fight. <laughs> but you got to learn how to fight and to fight fair. And I tell couples, if nothing else, you must learn how to have conflict resolution skills because the baggage that he's bringing in and the baggage that she's bringing in, a lot of times we've learned, we've been conditioned on how to handle conflict by watching the people who were around us or who may not have been there. So we all have brokenness in how we handle conflict and each couple has to learn their own groove their own rhythm on how to get back on track when they find themselves off track. Yeah, that's right. And one of those is when you start playing the blame game. And early in our marriage, there was a lot of blame game going on. And we were both saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost and all that, but we still played the blame game. And the blame game usually comes on late at night. <laughs> right when you're trying to go to bed, boom, that argument that disagreement, 
and you're tired and, and you're pointing fingers, you don't want to take responsibility. She's crying, I'm crying. We try not to be too loud because the kids might hear. The blame game is the shame of a game. But somebody ends up changing dance steps so that we can stop being childish, take responsibility, talk to the Lord, and get a good night's sleep. As a matter of fact, whenever my wife and I would play the blame game, she would come back to me the next morning. Elder Joe, on her hands and knees. She, 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 she would come back to me. Brother Mike, on her hands and knees. And she would say to me, come out from under that bed and fight like a man. I just threw that in for free. Amen. Adam blamed Eve. <laughs> Adam blamed God because it's always easy to blame God. And people use that as an excuse to not want to walk with God because they're mad with God. They blame God. They, they don't want to look in the mirror. They're always looking at up to heaven and shaking their fist at God. Blaming God for the death of a grandmother. Blaming God for this or for that. And it's really just an excuse but again, we get this from Adam, that thing in us that, that wants to blame. Even Mary and Martha, when their brother Lazarus died, blamed Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. So the coded message is my brother died because you weren't here. So even in their grief, they're blaming. Now this part is a different caveat here. When you see how Jesus handled blame being cast upon him, that's a picture for us who are growing to be like Christ because people will blame us for things that we are not responsible for, things that we didn't do. But the tendency is, is to return evil for evil. You blame me? Wait a minute, hold on now, watch yourself. But we're supposed to return blessing for cursing. We're supposed to humble ourselves and, and understand. Let, let me look past what this person is saying because they are grieving. Yeah. Let me be a little bit more mature right now. They're, they're casting blame on me. for oh, But let me see their heart. Lord, they're struggling. That's when you know you're growing as opposed to lowering yourself to their level and casting blame back at them. My, my, my. Adam blamed Eve. He blamed God. And he never took personal responsibility for his actions. Never. Not once. But secondly, Eve played the blame game. Look at verse 13. And the Lord God said to the woman. So remember, he goes to the husband first. Now he's coming to the wife. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So ladies and gentlemen, the next contestant in the blame game is Sister Eve. Come on down. So Eve comes down. But I must say that Eve was more mature than Adam. Because she didn't blame God. And she didn't blame her raggedy husband. <laughs> you know, she could have blamed him. Because he blamed her, you know. But at least she didn't say... Dude, you were sitting there the whole time that snake was talking to me and you were passive, quiet. You didn't say anything. You didn't step up for me. You just watched me do all that stuff. She could have blamed him. Like a lot of sisters blame their husbands. 
but she didn't do it. You see, Eve <laughs> blamed the devil. She said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Because if you're not blaming God, it's easy just to put it all on the devil. You know, the devil made me do it, you know. <laughs> that old devil, no, it ain't the devil, it's you. Devil minding his business in the third lower chambers of hell. And here you are blaming the devil. Devil like, man, I'm getting credit for something else I didn't even do. <sighs> blaming the devil. My, my, my. Yeah, the devil tempted her, but he didn't make her eat. She had a choice, and she gave in and made the wrong choice. Eve, just like her husband, never took personal responsibility for her actions. So she's learning from her husband. Because I wonder if Adam had taken responsibility and answered the yes or no question, did you eat from the tree? Yes, I did. And I throw myself on the mercy of the Lord. Then I think Eve would have followed her leader and done the same thing. Because we influence each other. Darina influences me in our marriage. I influence her. When my wife decides to start eating salad every night, it starts working on me to say, man, I got to make some adjustments because she's losing weight, looking good. I'm still looking a little sloppy and floppy. Man, she's influencing me. And I think I influence her on certain things. But, but we influence each other. Uh, uh, now, when she says, uh, I'm going to stop the salads tonight and get a cookie, then, then I'm easily in there with the cookie now. I'm, I'm in there with the <laughs> negative influence, you know? You know, you ain't got to twist my arm. You ain't got, you know. You get a cookie, okay, I'll get a cookie too. She can have a cheat day. You got a cheat week, bruh. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, help me, Lord. Confession is good for the soul, but bad for the reputation. Unfortunately, husbands and wives still play the blame game. Adults and children play the blame game. Siblings play the blame game. Uh, who left these dishes in the sink? We point everywhere but to ourselves. I'm here to let you know that pastors and parishioners play the blame game. Some churches, it's the pastor and the deacons. I consulted a church last year trying to help them walk through an issue between the pastor and the deacons. Y'all... They were too busy pointing fingers and not willing to point thumbs. Guess what they're doing now? Still fighting. And when the leadership fights, it affects the parishioners. Still fighting because no one wants to take responsibility. It's like what Jesus said. Now, everybody has got something in their eye obstructing their vision. Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus said, let me tell you, Chris, what's in your eye? You have a log in your eye. Let me tell you what the person that you have art with has in their eye. They have a splinter in their eye. But you think you have a splinter in yours and you think they have a log in theirs. No, you have a log in yours. And Jesus said, get the log out of your eye first. Then you can see clearly to deal with the dust or the splinter in someone else's eye. If we all believe we had logs, 
and our neighbor has splinters. We could work some things out, but because we want to act like we don't have something wrong with our vision, we continue to, to be in the dance of death, going around in circles, as Billy Preston sings about. My God, Republicans and Democrats play the blame game. Where would our country be if they were less concerned about partisan protection and partisan politics, if they really said, we're here to serve the people, then we could come together across the aisle. It's cool to have differences, but why do our differences always have to divide and make us mean and nasty in the process? Who hurts the most from that? We do. Not them. The people hurt. The blame game is persistent in Washington, D.C. Not only that, black and white people have been playing the blame game. What, where would we be in race relations if we stopped playing the blame game and started taking responsibility? But it's hard to take responsibility if people want to erase the history that created the gulf between black and white and black and brown and black and native. We just want to act like that stuff didn't happen. We want to sweep it under the rug. We want to ban critical race theory. We, we don't want to talk about history. And so we fight and we argue because people say, I don't want my son, Joel, feeling guilty because he's white. And I don't want him feeling like he's being blamed for something that happened hundreds of years ago. So we're going to strike any curriculum out of uh, the, the school system that speaks of racism because we don't want Joel hurt. We're not raising Joel well. We're not preparing Joel for the real world. But while Joel, we're trying to protect him, we got to also deal over here with Jordan who, okay, he's black, but he experiences racism. No matter how old he is, he feels it. So it's a living classroom experience for him. But how can we come together if we're not honest about where we were and even where we are? And we can deal with it without blaming if we decide to point some thumbs. If you pointed a thumb, I wouldn't have to point a finger. If I pointed a thumb, you wouldn't have to point a finger. If we could all come to the table saying, we've messed up, we're broken, we need some help, I got a log in my eye, I think we could work some things out. But pride keeps us. I'm so glad, I'm so glad, I'm so glad that God entered the game because yes, Adam played the blame game, and yes, Eve played the blame game, and we played the blame game because everybody plays the fool sometimes. But, but God entered the game, and he played a different game. He played the good news game. Oh, my good. I, I, Lord, help me preach for your glory. God placed our blame on his son. God placed our blame, that is our guilt, our shame, our sin, our shortcomings on his son. 
You see, to blame someone is to place shame and guilt upon the person. With shame and guilt come condemnation and judgment. I'm going to say it again. To blame someone is to place shame and guilt upon that person. You don't feel like you've accomplished anything unless the person feels bad that you're blaming. So with shame and guilt come condemnation and judgment. So the questions are, number one, who are we to blame and condemn others when we're just as messed up as they are? We may not have done that, but we've done some stuff. Mm -hmm. People get a no-fault divorce. No fault. Somebody had to have had a fault. I'll venture to say both have had fault. You may not have done that, but you've done this. And in the sight of God, that and this are the same. Worthy of the death of his son. But we say, uh, I didn't do that one. As if that justifies you. No, 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 no. Like the guys praying in the temple. The Pharisee, I tithe, I do this, I do this. And he's proud. And then the sinner is next to him. Can't even lift up his head to heaven. And he smotes his breast and said, Lord, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, which one went home justified? <laughs> the one who admitted his brokenness. Not the one who was relishing in his self-righteousness. You don't need God if you got this. If you got this, you don't need God. But when you know you don't got this, oh, and I need help, Jesus will save you. Because he didn't come to make well people well. He came to make sick people well. But if you think you're well, not knowing you're sick, Jesus can't help you. My God, my God, thank you. So, so, so the questions are, who are we to blame and condemn others when we're just as messed up as they are? And then secondly, who are we to blame others when God, the only one who can rightfully condemn us, chooses not to do so? When they had the woman who was caught, air quotes, caught in adultery, the law said we should stone such a one. But Jesus, what do you say? And the only one qualified to throw a rock because he had not sinned chose not to throw a rock and gave her grace. So if God gives us grace and mercy, who are we to hold things against people when God doesn't and people are just as broken as we are? This is why Christians need to hear the gospel because it reminds us, man, around the cross, there are no big eyes and little U's. There are no people up higher and people down lower. It's evil even around the cross. It's even plain. John 3, 17. It says, for God did not, Jesus says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God is not going to condemn us. God is not going to blame us. Because Jesus' mission when he came into the world was not to condemn it was to save because that's the heart of our God. Elder Joe said it earlier that the love of God was not just verbal. The love of God was demonstrable and it was demonstrated through Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. The one who knew no guilt became guilty on the cross. So rather than judging Adam and Eve 
the Lord God prophesied the coming of the seed. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. You, 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 he plays the good news game, the gospel game. God prophesied the coming of the seed, and the seed would be judged in the place of Adam and Eve. Now, the animal that's going to be slain later is going to be a temporary payment to cover their sins and, and so that they would not die. The animal died in their place. The skin was to cover their nakedness. The, the animal was a picture of the Old Testament legal sacrifice that pointed to the coming of the Messiah, the lamb who would take away the sins of the world. And so God made a prophecy in verse 15. And I will put enmity, speaking to the serpent, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. I like how the New King James capitalizes seed. That lets me know something there, that this is speaking of a person. This is speaking of God. And this seed, excuse me, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, we have divine foresight now to look back and see what this prophecy meant. That Satan who came and disrespected the order of the home and said, let me talk to Eve, not to Adam, to Eve. Let me tempt her. Adam sits back. They sin. Their eyes are open. So there's this conflict now where they are separated from God. Fellowship is broken with God. And now fellowship is broken between the two of them because they're hiding in shame. He's blaming his wife. Sin breaks fellowship vertically and spiritually, horizontally and relationally. So someone has to come. Oh, help me. Who's going to bring back the relationship? Who's going to reconcile man back to God and man with one another? And only the seed could do that. But in order for the seed, who is the savior, who is the son of God, in order for him to do that, he's going to have to engage in a conflict with a fight, in a fight with the serpent. And in this fight, the Bible says that the seed will be bruised. Now, he's going to inflict a blow to the head of the serpent. He's going to step on the head of the serpent. But in the midst of this cosmic battle for the souls of mankind, the seed who's going to come through a woman is going to suffer a blow. He's going to be bruised in his heel. And so when the Bible says that he's going to be wounded, it, it reminds me of Isaiah 53 verse 5 where it says, but he was wounded for what? Our transgressions. He was wounded for our transgressions. So the seed would come and he would be wounded. Now, Jesus would be wounded in a fight that he didn't start. Listen, he, he didn't start this fight. The devil started this fight. Adam and Eve got into this fight, lost this fight, and Jesus would jump into the fight, and he would be wounded in a fight that he didn't start, but through his wounds, it would be a fight that he would surely finish. He's going to finish this fight. He didn't start it, 
but my God, he's going to finish it because in Colossians chapter 2, it talks about how Jesus triumphed over the devil on the cross. The devil uh, got his head beat in through the cross. He tried to keep Jesus from the cross by saying, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world uh, if you just bow down. You don't have to die to get the people. I'll give you the people. Get behind me, Satan. Satan tried to keep Jesus from the cross because he knew the cross would inflict a massive blow on his head. You see, through the cross, Jesus would secure our victory through his wounds, making us blameless. So blame, our blame, our sin, put him on the cross. He died for our sins. He took our shame. He took the blame. He paid the penalty for us so that he could in turn give us grace and give us righteousness and even make us blameless. Colossians 1.22 says, God presents you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So if God presents me as blameless, why am I running around blaming everybody? He's made me bl- He's presented me blameless when he could have condemned me, but he did not do that. He condemned his son in my place. So if I'm grateful for that, which is why when we take communion, the Bible says, uh, now, if you're taking communion and you know you're holding a grudge against somebody, you know you're living in uh, just known blatant sin, you better check yourself. Because if you come to this table holding grudges and living willfully disobedient, you can drink sickness and even death to yourself because God ain't playing with this thing. (laughs) Oh, pastor, move on to some Kool-Aid. Stop giving us these Brussels sprouts. All right, here we go. I'm working to a close. The God who could blame us chose to make us blameless because of the transference on the cross. He who knew no sin was made sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus took responsibility and he took the blame. He drank the cup. He didn't feel like drinking the cup, but he took responsibility and drank the cup and he took the blame of the world upon himself. So the good news is that God demonstrated his love toward Adam and Eve by placing their sin on the seed, which means the seed is the savior. The seed is the savior. So in the Garden of Eden, the first Adam rejected responsibility and blamed others, including God. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, as you turn to John chapter 18, as we close, John 18, in the Garden of Gethsemane, The last Adam took responsibility and he took the blame of others upon himself. So we're going now to the Garden of Gethsemane. The first Adam failed and fell in the Garden of Eden. The last Adam stood and succeeded in the Garden of Gethsemane. Pastor, why do you call him the last Adam? Because the Bible does. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45 says, And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. 
So one name of Jesus is the last Adam. Let's connect the dots here. John 18, beginning at verse 3. It says, then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now, when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Why? Because I take responsibility. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. Don't arrest them. Don't arrest my disciples. Let them go their way. Why? Because I'm going to take their blame upon me. I'm going to take their shame upon me. So Jesus says, let them go their way. Now, here's what I love here. In this moment, Jesus took responsibility. Before he would even take our shame and blame on the cross, he took responsibility. And he did not blame Judas. Because Judas came now. Judas sold him out now, remember? But in that moment, he didn't blame him. Even when Judas came and kissed him, a derogatory kiss. Now, again, this is why we don't qualify to be the savior. Because we would have smacked Judas. <laughs> You're not going to play me like this. But he didn't blame Judas. He didn't blame the soldiers. He didn't even blame his disciples. Because in a minute, Peter's going to try to cut somebody's ear off. But he's like, all of y'all are going to fall away tonight. All of y'all are going to deny me tonight. And he doesn't even blame them for their lack of faith or acting carnally and in the flesh. He doesn't even blame his father. God, why you let this happen? He's not blaming. He's taking responsibility because that is the good news. So what did we learn today? That Adam and Eve played the blame game. But thankfully, God played a different game. When they were pointing at each other, blaming each other, condemning each other, passing the buck, shirking responsibility, not pointing thumbs, God stepped in and said, I'm going to send the seed. He's going to suffer in y'all's place. He's going to die a death that you should die. He's going to pay a debt that you should pay. But because I love you, I'm going to send him to take your place because I cannot pardon your sin without there being a payment. But because you're broken, your payment cannot satisfy me. Only a holy payment can. And the only one qualified is God himself. So he sent his son who wrapped himself up in human flesh, came through the womb of the Virgin Mary without the aid of a man. Through 42 generations, prophesied to come, he came. And in this battle, he was wounded. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him and by 
his stripes, we are healed. That's good news. We imitate Adam whenever we blame others and reject responsibility. So all of us need to grow up, grow up into Christ, spend less time pointing at people and less time taking and more time taking responsibility and not putting people under condemnation because God does not put people under condemnation. As a matter of fact, he says in John chapter three that when you refuse to believe in, in his son, you condemn yourself. I'm not putting you under condemnation. You put yourself under it when you refuse to believe in the son. So that's not God's heart to condemn us, but he did condemn his son because he loved us so. So let's stop condemning people. And because what we do is we'll disguise a prayer request as a blame game part two. We'll call people and, and we'll tell them what they did to us because we're trying to project blame on folks so that we can feel innocent and good about ourselves. I don't need to do that. I'm innocent because God has forgiven me. And I don't need to do that in order to make myself feel better. I don't need to run you down to lift myself up. And when I find myself doing that, I'm not being like Jesus. I'm being like Adam. Thank God for the Holy Spirit because he'll convict you and say, come on out of that. Because when I imitate the last Adam, we don't blame others and we take responsibility. Now, I'm not a mountain climber. But I read about it. And when groups go out to climb mountains, if you notice, not many brothers in the mountain climbing group that goes out. It's a cultural thing. It's a cultural thing. We'll do other stuff, but mountain climbing? Ah, might not find us there. But when a group climbs a mountain, especially a snow-capped mountain, they, they will have a rope that will join them together. They're connected to the rope, so they're connected to each other, and this rope has been called a safety rope or even a lifeline. And it is designed to secure the team from falling. So if one is climbing a mountain and they come across a great uh, uh, divot in the mountain and, and they may stumble, because they're connected to the group and held by the rope, they're able to not fall into the crevice. Now, when you go out like this, the first person is called the lead man. So the lead man is going first. People are following behind, connected to the lifeline. The one in the rear is called the anchor or the anchor man. And the anchor man's job is to make sure that the rope is secure, you know, that is dug into the mountain so that just in case the, the front man, the first man falls, the anchor that the last man controls holds firm. I just stopped by today on the first Sunday of June to say that there was a mountain climbing group that went out for humanity. The lead man was called Adam. The anchor man was called Adam. Two Adams on the same team. And you and I in between on this rope following the first Adam. 
But the first Adam slipped. The first Adam fell. And when he fell, all of humanity began to fall with him. And we would have all fallen away had it not been for the last Adam, who's the anchor of our soul, who holds us all together and in place. So the first Adam had me fall, but the last Adam has kept me safe. Now unto him who's able to keep you from falling. Oh, and to present you faultless or blameless in his presence. Mike, that's what our God does. So when I'm caught up in that kind of love, why do I have to lower myself and start blaming other people? And why do I have to let you try to put blame on me when he doesn't condemn me? No, I'm preaching the gospel to myself and me and my wife. Next time we get hit with something late in the midnight hour, oh, we're going to point more thumbs than we point fingers. If you got a little something out of that word today, can you put your hands together and give God some praise? Amen. Amen. Brother Jonathan, are you able to close us or do I need to close us? You can close Amen. Because your son, he was giving us some praise today. Amen. Amen. Benjamin, what's happening, homie? You ready? You ready to leave? You ready to go to lunch? Pastor, what are you saying to me right now? You ready to go to lunch, man? Well, let's hope your daddy don't pray long. Okay? All right. Come on, man. Close Same us game. Up. Amen. Amen. Come on, y'all give God a praise. Let's stand to your feet. There's nothing more to say. Amen. Thank God for taking, uh, making us presented blameless through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. A benediction. The Lord bless and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Dear God, thank you for giving us your son, Jesus Christ, to be our ultimate sacrifice and present us blameless. Now let us go here from this place and be in your presence and remember what you did for us so that we can show others grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great week. God bless you, Strong Tower.